let's see if we are live. All right. I believe we're live. Hello, everyone. Ooh, let us mute that. Hello, everyone. This is the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat here on this uh, 5th of October, 2016. Let's see how we sound. Just need to make sure because last week it was an epic disaster. Let's see. Not sure what this is. All right. Oh, it's good. I believe we're live. There we go. All right. Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, as you can see, I believe some of the audio issues have been resolved this time, and maybe some of the latency issues anyway. If this doesn't work, I am also simultaneously recording the audio. So the podcast audio on iTunes.com slash promotional malpractice will sound just fine, presumably. Let me make sure that's running. Yes, it is. Okay. We... Should be good. All right, welcome. Um, I come to you on a uh, somber day, unfortunately. Um, well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, here's how this works. If you're new, uh, if you're uh, if you're not new to this, you know how this goes. You put your comments in where this post is embedded on MMA Fighting, and I'll get to it. We're just now using the live chat function uh, on a, the YouTube platform itself. I don't know how I'm going to incorporate that. I'll, I'll consider it, but for now, just... The best questions on MMA fighting, the ones that turn green, will get priority, but not exclusivity. You know how this goes. You may also tweet me at SBN Luke Thomas and use the hashtag uh, chat rappers. That will also uh, uh, put your questions up for review and your comments as well. A lot to get to. UFC 204 is this Saturday. Surprisingly, a very good World Series of Fighting card is on Friday, although they're starting it at 11 with a six-fight main card, which is just the most World Series of Fighting thing ever. Um... And um, obviously, I had an interview yesterday on my radio show with Habib. We'll react to some of the things he said. Um, you know, but news broke uh, just before this got started. And I felt like we needed to react to it um, before we get to any of the questions. It, it just feels inappropriate if we didn't do otherwise. If you have not heard, I am sorry to inform you that UFC uh, middleweight and veteran for the Ultimate Fighter 17, Josh Saman, has passed away. Um, the cause of death and the cause for his original hospitalization a few days ago is not known. Um, he was found unresponsive in an apartment with another gentleman who passed away, I believe, the same day he was found. Um, there have been speculations that he overdosed um, on something. Um, there were some rumors that it was heroin. His mother subsequently said prior to his death, but after his hospitalization, that that is not true, that no heroin was found in his system. Um, I believe the Broward County Medical Examiner is going to do an autopsy to determine the cause of death. I do not know how long that will take. Um, so this is terrible. This is plainly uh, gut-wrenching and awful and um, hard to know what to say when something like this happens immediately. Uh, I did not know Josh Saman. I mean, I had a few interactions with him, I think, online, but I don't think I ever interviewed him on one of my shows, and I don't know that I ever saw him in person, but he wrote for the site where I used to be the editor-in-chief at Bloody Elbow, 
And uh, obviously more places than that. I don't know if you guys saw, before his death, he had a three-part series with Jeff Nowitzki on USADA testing, um, which I bookmarked. I read two of the three posts. And uh, obviously he wrote his own book, which he did a book tour for. Um, I don't know really what to say, except the only thing I can think of to say at this juncture, and there is a lot to say, understanding that, but just as this uh, absolutely horrific news is fresh, is um, Saman's story was a... So, like, look at his life, right? Here's a guy who dropped out of high school at age 16, who, in his book, detailed the battle he had um, with addiction and how he found MMA and how MMA had changed him and how MMA had given him all of these career and personal goals that he had tried out for the Ultimate Fighter, I think, four times before finally getting on. And that he found this woman who he had... I mean, he had a the sense of romance between them uh, and the gravity of the love that they shared seemed to be, you know, absolutely profound, right? One of these, if you guys have ever, I mean, Jesus Christ, who am I? But if, you know, you, we've all lived life. I, I assume that m many of you have found one person in your life that you have this love for them that is so intense that it is, uh, it changes your perspective about the world, about yourself, uh, it literally aches inside of you. It is so it is so powerful. He had that kind of a love, it appeared, with a girl. And um, you guys all know the story. They were text messaging. Saman believed that, as a consequence of that, while she was driving, that um, she died. And, you know, he had lost then, I think, his two more family members back-to-back -back after that. Um, also in terribly tragic fashions all of them unexpected deaths and this is a guy who had a tough life man whoa an incredibly tough life and the only thing i think i can say right now given that background is when is when you experience things like that i love that's that intense that is absolutely extinguished all at once or at least the person who is the source of that is extinguished all at once. And when you have a tough background and when you have these profound tragedies um, that just crash into you, it changes you. It changes you. There's just no two ways about it. Um, the only thing I've experienced like that, and I've talked about it a little previously, uh, was when my mother took her own life in October of 2013. Uh, excuse me, what am I saying? October 2003. Jeez, it's been a long time. Wow. Uh, it crushes you. It crushes you. It tears you to pieces. And um, and he even talked about the depression that it put him in. But I think what had made Saman such a remarkable story it was not merely that he had these abilities, that he was able to fight at such a high level that he had, you know, not only was he winning in the Ultimate Fighting Championship, that he was winning performance of the night bonuses, two fights in a row, as a matter of fact. Um, that he had those kinds of abilities that he could also write without, you know, he didn't have some post-secondary education where his writing was molded. He molded that on his own in real time. And um, it spoke to the fact that he was incredibly intelligent, just never had a chance to 
uh, flex those muscles in a scholastic environment. But I'm glad he found Bloody Elbow because it showed us exactly uh, how skilled he was and, of course, that book as well. But I guess what I'm trying to say is um, you could, if someone experienced a tragedy, you could never really blame them for wearing the scar of it. doesn't mean you have to tolerate it if it turns into a negative thing, but it, you're just never the same after that. And I don't think he was ever the same. Um, but the remarkable thing about Josh Saman was that after experiencing these absolutely nightmarish things and these disadvantageous circumstances generally, um, the only thing it seemed to really do to him was sharpen his own sense of humanity and mercy and kindness. That is shocking, man. <laughs> that is shocking. You know, you could feel in his writing his humanity. You know, humanity is not the same as just tolerating everyone else's nonsense or their own differences, um, no matter what happens. It is a strong degree of tolerance, but it's an empathy, and it's a it's a it's a caring, and it's an understanding. I think when he experienced these absolute sorrows and depths of despair, it I think it taught him that a lot of other people must feel this way. And I don't, I don't, as someone who has experienced that, as, as Josh did, I think he thought he never wanted to be overly judgmental about. Um, anyone else's circumstances or pain or life experience. Um, but he was able to somehow walk this tightrope where he was still able to make, you know, sober evaluations of things and value judgments and um, level-headed analysis. It, that, man, wow. And at 28 years old, that is incredible. That is incredible, man. Um, such absolute wisdom. You know, he had a life that was kind of fast-forwarded. I feel like at 28, he wore that 28 kind of hard, uh, understandably. But to me, I just find it so remarkable that a guy could suffer in such a way and was still able to wear some of the scars from it. You know, I don't think those ever left him. But was able to use that to strengthen his own sense of um, like I said before, humanity and kindness and mercy and empathy and sympathy, depending on, on what had happened. And I think um, you're just not going to find a lot of people who ever do that kind of thing. You're just not going to find a lot of people who just get uh, where life tears at them and they somehow... Not, they don't ignore it. They don't pretend it's not there. But they come out the other end, even though they've been battered and bruised and scarred and mauled. They come out the other end somehow being able to channel and use their humanity um, for the struggles of people around them. Because they sort of realize they're not the only ones <clears throat> being torn at. Uh, I think most people from a lot of circumstances, they come out being unable to manage their own anger manage their own frustration, manage their own sadness. And I felt like he figured it all out for the most part. Uh, it felt that way anyway. Now, we'll see exactly. 
I am not going to sit here and spend three seconds even speculating about why he was in a coma. Uh, I, we will all figure that out in due time. But I guess what I am going to say is um, he just it just felt like to me that he had a life of triumph. And so that makes uh, his early demise, and I don't know what the nature of it is, but no matter what the nature of it is, if he had been, you know, some sort of accident on a plane or poisoned or something at a restaurant or some weird kind of medical condition we didn't know about. Whatever the circumstances, I'm not saying that's what happened here, but let's say whatever, imagine any kind of death. It wouldn't be tragic no matter what, given his age and given the kind of life he led. And I don't know what the story is going to be ultimately. Um, We'll have to wait and see, but I was sort of always moved by his humanity. I really was. And... um, you just won't find a lot of people who suffer and then come out the other end uh, of that incredibly awful ordeal ordeals being able to share um, their experience in a way that communicates uh, love for everyone else around them in the kind of way that he did. And he will be missed. And for the time being, that's all I have to say about that, because I don't know what else to say. I I I know there's a lot of speculation. Hang on. I know there's a lot of speculation about how he died, and I don't think that is an insignificant portion of his story. In fact, in many ways, it's frankly very critical. But we just don't have any information that I can reliably or you can reliably use to make any kind of um, assessment. Uh, All we can say at this juncture is how thankful we must all be that we had a chance to be around him as he was able to give back. And uh, just how incredibly depressing it is now that he's gone. So, So there you go. All right. So let's go to the first question if we can. Oops. All right, it's going to be hard to like transition, but let's just do it. All right, heavyweight longevity. Luke, it's no secret that heavyweights are the most durable, long-lasting fighters out of any other division in MMA. Lighter, fi- lighter weight fighters usually perform at an elite level for four to five years before suffering a noticeable decline. But a lot of the heavyweights in the top ten have been fighting since the late 90s and early 2000s. Okay. Have you guys tried these core? supposed to have like 10 calories a bottle pretty sweet it's good for like like getting rid of a sweet craving anyway um fighters like Overeem, Arlovsky, Mir, Barnett and Hunt all suffered multiple knockout losses and later experienced career resurgences you would think that getting knocked out repeatedly by insanely hard punches would quickly diminish their ability to compete but for some reason this isn't the case question what exactly allows heavyweights to fight at a high level over the long stretch of time as opposed to the lighter weight counterparts. Yeah, this is a question we've pondered a few times on this podcast. I think I would correct just a couple of things. One is that um, I think it's just an issue generally of how many heavyweights are coming into the pipeline, which is why the ones at the top have not been pushed out yet. I think if there was more coming in, you'd see greater turnover generally. So that's part of the problem. The other one is those vicious knockouts, certainly they are terrible. I'm not here to tell you otherwise. But those are not necessarily the sum total of 
the brain damage or those might not necessarily always be as bad as some other ways in which a person can experience brain trauma. So let's sort of like make that known. Um, I don't know what the rates of knockout are. Uh, obviously, it's higher at heavyweight than any other one. But I wonder if we're talking about the guys who are still around, the Roy Nelsons, the Frank Mears, the Josh Barnetts. Um, we don't have a lot of data that compares their career relative to peers who've been in as the game as long as theirs, I think, in terms of overall damage. Obviously, it stands to reason if you have more knockouts in the division, these guys are going to have it a little bit higher. All this is sort of to say, um, between the issues of there's no new guys coming through, and I think that last sort of period of MMA had a lot of heavyweight talent that's still floating around. Like the, the There's generally a low level of talent coming into the pipeline, but even that level is going to peak and flow itself, or peak and ebb. And I think the last sort of period of it was a peak. Um, and so those guys are just able to hang around generally. I, I don't know how they can take those tremendous shots and keep going. It's a... I won't say it's a mystery, but it's not quite clear, except to say that they have an incredible rebound effect. Um, but I don't know that it's the brain trauma that is really the issue here, because look, what's one of the things that we screen the least for in MMA? It's brain trauma. We screen for things like, do you have any uh, heart problems, any, any, any circulatory system problems, any respiratory system problems, any endocrine system problems? Those are typically the things that we check. We're only really now at the very beginning stages of checking for brain trauma, um, which, as we know, can be hard to detect until it's frankly too late or even if someone um, regrettably would pass away. So um, to me, it's an issue of I think that there is, A, more guys coming into those other divisions more quickly, and B, I don't know that they have any less brain trauma, although, again, there's slightly fewer uh, knockouts, um, relatively speaking, on average. But I think those guys... um, because the once their athleticism begins to wane even a little bit in that division, because guys are super athletic, the fighting is a little bit more physical there. Guys are bigger and stronger at heavyweight, but as you know, it's just not quite... You don't see these intensely long 15-minute scrambles. Once that even begins to wane a little bit, their overall abilities begin to wane. And at heavyweight, it's just more forgiving if those kinds of things begin to slip. And so guys can just kind of stick around a little bit longer. But it, I don't, you know... Uh, I think once we develop tools for brain damage in real time without having to wait for some kind of autopsy, I think we're going to find that there's going to be a change in which kind of divisions have greater turnover. Someone says, don't quote this as a fact, but I remember reading a summary of a study that basically said it's better for your brain to take one big punch than a hundred smaller ones. I'll see if I can find it. Yeah, that's also true. Uh, okay, there's a question here that people want me to answer, but it's not wrecked. I'll come back to it in the comments. Uh, is Rockhold versus Jacare 2 the most evenly matched fights fight in UFC history? Boy, it is up there. Someone says the audio is echoing. Is that right? Audio is echoing? Is the audio echoing? Is Rockhold versus Jacques? Ooh, Jesus. No, it sounds alright. The stream health's not that great. That's the problem. 
Oh, someone says there is a brutal echo. Someone says, why is your audio so bad? Guys, I don't have a studio of donks to help me. I'm here by myself. <laughs> I am not a tech guy. It's just one dude here in my living room. That's it. So if the audio is bad, of course I am sorry, but you got to be a little bit forgiving. I can't, I can't make it work on its own. There you go. Someone says, like auto-tuning. Yes, there is an echo. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Let's see. Maybe that's better. I don't know. Let's just go from there. Oh, I see. Maybe that's better. There we go. Maybe that's better. Check, check. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Is someone watching? Jesus Christ. How does it sound? What a nightmare, man. What a nightmare. Close that. There. Let's see if that's better. Is that better? Someone's like, it's playing in your background. Do you hear it playing? I don't. I'm not playing it. Put on a headset. Turn off your speakers. They're not on. <laughs> They're not on. Is the sound on your laptop? No. Could be your computer's mic. It's not turned on. Here, let's try that. Is that better? Someone's saying it's two microphones. I have not enabled two microphones. You have two mics on. I definitely don't. The webcam mic is off too. Jesus, I don't even know what to do. What a what a nightmare. What a nightmare. All right, well look. The podcast has recording normal. I don't know what to do. I really don't know what to do. Shut it off and restart it. Yeah, I mean, NSA is spying on you, Luke. Yeah, I believe that. OBS is picking up two mics. I, the, all the other mics are literally disabled. That's just such a pain in my ass. <laughs> it is such a pain in my ass. All right, F it. I'm going to go on. It is what it is. I can't, I can't, 
You know, no one's paying. No one on the site's paying attention anyway. All right, so there you go. The podcast audio will be normal. I promise. All right. Christ Almighty, what a nightmare! 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 Oh, for crying out loud. People are like, just fix it. I don't know what I'm doing, clearly. All right, let's just go back. I'm going to move on. All right, just here's all I can do. All right, true, false. After easily taking three head kicks against Dotson, it's safe to say that John Lineker currently has the best chin in MMA. Yes. Will Brooks's knockout loss to Alex Oliveira is proof that he isn't an elite lightweight. Uh, true. No, not true. The UFC 204 card is so weak that it could easily be a free FS1 card. Yes. Gagard Musasi will likely take Vitor down and finish him via strikes. True. Given how past fighters failed in legal battles with the company, Aldo bringing the UFC to court would not end well for him. True. Eddie Alvarez's durability is as good as Nate Diaz's. False, although different. Joanna will be a, will be even more of a handful for her opponents now that she is training full-time at American Top Team. Probably about the same. It's very possible that Rockhold could actually submit Jacare in the rematch if the fight goes into the championship rounds, provided Jacare is hurt or tired, yes. Had Diaz versus McGregor 2 remained the headliner for UFC 200, it would have reached 2 million pay-per-view buys. Had Diaz versus McGregor 2 remained the Maybe, but unlikely. Out of any other fighter, Holly Holm probably has the best chance of beating Chris Cyborg. I guess. Uh, the rumors of McGregor retiring if he wins at MSG are more than likely to be true. I don't have a clue. Everyone's just killing me. Everyone's like, turn down the volume on your laptop. Like, okay, I don't know much about technology, but I know that much. <sighs> it, <laughs> I just, I'm, here's what I'm going to do after this show. I am going to eat a giant shotgun shell fired out of a shotgun. I'm just going to eat that bullet. That's what I'm going to do. Luke, I'm sure you saw the other day when Dana said that Ronda is the biggest star the UFC has ever had. Why does he continue to spout such nonsense when the numbers clearly prove she isn't? She only has drawn great numbers on pay-per-view twice. UFC 190 versus Kohea did 900k buys, and UFC 193 versus Holm did 1.1 million buys. I am in no way a McGregor lover nor a hater either, but he is clearly a bigger star. Per Dave Meltzer's numbers, the four pay-per-views he has headlined, 189, 194, 196, 202, have drawn a combined 5.475 million buys. Yet the five pay-per-views Rousey has headlined have drawn 3.425 buys, if you want to include UFC 168 and 175, where she was the co-main. It's 49995. 
Rossi has drawn over a million buys once when McGregor has done it three times in a row and will probably do so again at UFC 205. And again, should he rematch Diaz, he could genuinely be looking at five or six pay-per-views in a row, drawing over a million buys. Has that ever been done before by one person? I doubt it, yet Dana continues to insist Ronda is the biggest. Why? Okay, there's a couple of things you have to acknowledge here. One, McGregor currently, uh, and I think unequivocally, has been the UFC's biggest draw. That's not necessarily the same thing as being the most iconic or popular attraction. She has done things that he has not. She has reached into pockets of the mainstream audience in ways that he also has not. Now, he is clearly a bigger box office attraction, and that's its own version of celebrity. But, um, you know, her story and, and the ways in which media have covered her and the places she's been, for example, first fighter to like MMA fighter to be hosting SNL, I mean, that was a disaster. But that's the kind of cultural penetration that we're talking about that I don't think he's quite reached yet, you know, and, and she, she reaches across a wide swath of demographics that... Um, um, Conor McGregor just uh, does a lot really well. Don't get me wrong. We're talking about Conor freaking McGregor, but not quite as well as Ronda Rousey. So, um, so in that sense, I can understand what he means, and I can understand what she's done for the brand. Also, those two million, not two million at once, but million and a million pay-per-view buys that she did for... Uh, the UFC, both of those were overseas. Uh, that's very, that's frankly unheard of. The Betchkehaya fight and the Holly Holm fight. That's for a, a UFC pay per view to take place overseas uh, and to sell over a million buys is an ins- extraordinary feat. Also, when you consider like what women have done historically on pay per view, I mean, she's your queen. Like no one can even touch her. Um, she outperforms other women across virtually every everyone who's ever been on pay-per-view. Um, so, you know, that's grading her a bit on a curve. Okay, fair enough. But um, I think the I think what we have to accept is Conor McGregor is a huge star, a huge star, and maybe is a bigger star than Ronda Rousey. Uh, he's definitely a bigger box office attraction. But what may also be true is that it's not necessarily the same thing to say that the box office attraction is also your most culturally popular figure. They're a little bit distinct. Trilogy fights. Let's see what my boss says. Now there's an echo. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't... (laughs) Oh, Christ almighty. (sighs) Trilogy fights. History tells us and you yourself have said that whoever wins the second fight in a trilogy fight typically, is what I say, goes on to win the third fight. That will be the case for Rockhold Bisping uh, and Diaz McGregor. Definitely Diaz McGregor. Rockhold Bisping. Ooh. Hmm. I don't know if they're ever going to fight again. I guess we'll see. Definitely Diaz McGregor. I don't know about Rockhold Bisping. I would be a little bit cautious about that one. Uh, okay, fantasy matchups. It's not a rule, but um, uh, 
Fantasy matchups. All right, I'm going to try and just plug through this. Okay. Velasquez versus Miocic. Velasquez, I think. Dos Santos versus Verdum 2. Ooh, Verdum. Overeem versus Barnett. I'll say Overeem. Brown versus Derek Lewis. At this point, maybe Derek Lewis. Depends on the takedown. Pettis versus Holloway. Kind of like Holloway. Jimmy Rivera versus Almeida. Almeida. Faber versus Sterling. Sterling. Jim Miller versus Venata. Ooh. Mm, that's a tough one. I'll say Jim Miller, but I'm a little bit skeptical of that. Melendez versus Poirier. Poirier. RDA versus Johnson. RDA. Tysimov versus Makachev. Tysimov. Josh the man question, which we can just plow through. McGregor's media obligations pre-205. What sort of schedule do you expect for McGregor in regards to media obligations typical of a pre-fight lead-up? Yeah, they're going to put him through the ringer. There's no two ways about it. They're going to put him through the ringer. You know what? I have an idea. Let's try something. Audio input capture. Let's try this. Yes. Check, check. How does that? Is the echo gone now? Did I fix the echo? Let me know if the echo is fixed. Give it a sec. I'm going to keep going. Let me know if the uh, echo has been fixed. I believe that it has. Either way, don't worry. We're going to keep going. All right. Yeah, they're going to put him through the ringer. We've talked about this ad nauseum, how it affected Ronda Rousey prior to the home fight, how McGregor obviously didn't even want to compete, uh, didn't even want to fly to do it for UFC 200 and got yanked from the card. But this is going to be a huge one. And, and it's in New York, which is the capital of media. Like all the major media companies have offices there, um, from print to TV to radio to uh, digital. Like it's, it's, it's a huge media environment now luckily most of it is all located in manhattan or brooklyn mostly just manhattan but even then yeah man he's gonna get put through the ringer so that's gonna be tough alvarez too you know alvarez is gonna be busy as well so that should be interesting let's see all right the echo should be gone now there we go effing christ Oh, God, thank you, Lord, Jesus. I am so sorry about that. I'm going to New York tomorrow for the MMA beat. That's where all the studio donks are. They have, they have said tomorrow they will help me. I will try and figure that out about what's going on because it's using this audio pickup, and I don't want that. Let me just move this out of the way. I don't want that. I want this audio pickup, and I tried to de- disable the audio from this. And it's not working. It's not the audio from this laptop. It's not the audio from anywhere else. Oh, Jesus. There is a God. I don't think he likes me very much, but there is a God. All right. 
WME, IMG, and UFC connections. Hi, Luke. We saw that some celebrities repped by WME, IMG recently became minority owners of the UFC. I noticed yesterday that model Gigi Hadid, that was the one that, uh, who was she dating? Was it Ronaldo? Can't remember. Is now part of a Reebok campaign. There's no question, just commenting on how I found it interesting that a model like Gigi is part of the same campaign as Rousey Vincent and others. Well, they got to get some... Some names that donks know, right? For those unfamiliar with her work, Gigi Hadid has modeled for Marc Jacobs, Dior, if I'm not mistaken, and has been on the cover of Vogue. Also recently hit some dude with a hendo back elbow when he tried to pick her up at a Milan Fashion Week. Alright. Miocic versus question mark. Luke, who do you feel will challenge Stipe for the heavyweight title next? I'd personally love to see a matchup between him and Cain Velasquez. Kane, in my opinion, looked better than ever at UFC 200, yeah. Uh, Stipe is off for a bit. I don't know if, um, I don't know what's going to happen. Perhaps Verdum and Kane will rematch. I don't really know. But I believe that Kane would be a great fight. I mean, they could do either one. A rematch with, with, with Verdum wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. There's history there, although, you know, he got starched. But nevertheless, there's history. Uh, Velasquez, though, that feels fresh. That feels exciting. That feels different. He feels like we still feel like there's life left in the tank for Velasquez. And so Velasquez, Miocic, if they can make it, is uh, going to be great. Another question, unfortunately, about Josh Saman. New turn for the UFC. A huge debate seems to have developed in the UFC and maybe all of MMA. And is this, are money fights more important now than championship fights? Or is your drawing power more important more important than the merits of your resume. I wonder if this isn't the UFC seeing the success of Bellator has had on their money fight cards and thus somewhat a change in philosophy. I don't think that's anything got anything to do with it. They're not they're not aping Bellator. Uh, and it's not exactly been a secret that that kind of thing works. Um, boxing's been doing it for, frankly, a century. Um, even, even despite the architecture there. Here, here's the deal with this that I think... I think most rational observers of what's going on in mixed martial arts will say something like, um, we like it when the best fight the best, when ranked guys who are close together compete, uh, but we also want a system where um, if we can make a fight that doesn't necessarily cohere with one versus two or two versus three or three versus four, uh, if we can make fights outside of that model for uh, big business, big attention, big ratings, um, big events, let's do that too. So the question is, how do you reconcile the two? And there are no obvious answers. And frankly, the answer is basically going to depend on what your taste level is in X or Y. Um, your, you might have a very different opinion about how much of this money fight um, philosophy as a guiding principle you're willing to tolerate versus me or someone else. Where we might have different... Um, sympathies in that regard and, and prejudices for me I very much like the architecture of a contender system I like the idea of rewarding contenders I believe a champion has a responsibility to a weight class to defend their belt I also believe that when you can make really special events you should for me this UFC 205 issue is really thorny because it involves two different weight classes at the same time you have Jose Aldo who's looking for a fight and can't get it you have Abib Nurmagomedov looking for a fight and can't get it. And so, as a consequence, um, what do you do? It's not 
it's not altogether so clear. So the model I think works best, this is just my opinion, uh, this, this is no fact either, is a system by which if you are going to override the structure, the contender system, let's call it, then you have to have an overarching compelling reason to do so. And that in and of itself is relatively nebulous, but here's what I would say. In a case of Alvarez versus McGregor, I think you do have to make it. If you go back and you think about what was the appeal of GSP versus Silva, which is a very different situation, but nevertheless, what was some of the appeal? Some of the appeal was that you had a moment in time to make something special. MMA, after 2011 or so, it hit a bump down, or it dropped off in popularity a little bit. There's no doubt about it. Ratings were down, gates were down, pay-per-view buys were down. Everything was down. Um, and there's obviously some questions about why that was, but I think part of that was that there wasn't anything going on that was particularly special. That was a growing period where we were still getting adjusted to some new realities. And what made GSP Silva alluring, among a number of other things, was that it was a chance to do something really outside of the norm. It was a chance to do something really special. And that chance was never taken advantage of, but that was that, I think that was some of the logic there. Like, wow, let's really... Let's go do something that is not being done. I think at that time, which preceded Mayweather Pacquiao, there was a real thirst also generally in the fight community, be it boxing or MMA, for a super fight. There was just, it, it was just missing. Um, but those moments, when you think about them, they're frankly quite, ra quite rare. There's not a lot of those. There's just not a lot of... Um, You don't need to do it that often. And I think that's where I come from. Where I come from is you need to do it when you, when not when you can, but when it makes the most sense. Um, but you should have a general appetite for restraint about it. Because, look, do I think Aldo and Nurmagomedov are actually going to walk away from the UFC? I have my doubts. I suppose it's possible, but I find it, frankly, unlikely. Um... But this kind of dissension in the ranks is just really not good. I think to say things like, well, Aldo, if you want to walk, walk. And if you want, Habib, if you want to walk, walk. This is a very glib attitude. No, I don't think they're going to walk. Uh, and, of course, if people want to play hardball, that's a certain way to go, both from management and the fighter's perspective. But the point being is, over time, asking these guys to compete at a world-class level and then not acknowledging their world-class uh, performance... This sows seeds of discontent that bear fruit down the line, either with unionization, either with guys, not them, but maybe down the road, jumping ship, with guys having just a general hostility to management. This is not good to have these kinds of things being built. And frankly, I think we can see that the majority of the time, but not always, the majority of the time, one versus two and two versus three and three versus four and whatever on down the line, these are largely the fights that you want to see. These are the best fighting the best. That's what the UFC brags about as its calling card, as its identity. You, you want to preserve that. You just don't want to preserve that at the expense of doing something special. But something special is, by definition, something rare. And I think what I object to, and this is why Tyron Woodley's ever kind of fell flat, was it just felt like a couple of people who are uniquely advantaged are going to be able to take, you know, to, to take advantage of those kinds of things. But when everybody tries it, I don't know that the fan appetite is really there. I don't know that the market is frankly there. Um, 
And so it doesn't exactly work. Where you put the line is going to really change and, and vary from where I put the line. But I, I believe that the overwhelming majority of the time, you should reward contenders who earn their way up. And everyone's like, well, Habib's not that guy. Guys, i got to tell you, I'm not. If, if Tony Ferguson got the title shot against Eddie Alvarez or whoever, I would not object to it. But they booked him in Mexico City against RDA. Okay, we'll see what happens with that. If he wins that, he obviously has a very strong case. But it's not even about that. Like, they gave Nurmagomedov two bout agreements. Like, I don't I don't think he's nuts for thinking I'm the guy who the UFC... The UFC literally, like, if you're a fighter and they give you a bout agreement for a title fight, are you crazy for thinking you're the guy who should get the title fight? I got a hard time believing that he's crazy. You know, I, we can argue about their resumes, and certainly there's no doubt about it. Ferguson's resume is more contemporary. And it has, it's, there's just much more recency about it. Um, and that definitely speaks to his strengths. But if they're giving you bout agreements, case closed a little bit here. But UFC's telling you who they think is the deserving contender. Um, and so that's just a little problematic, right? I mean, that's that's sort of my point. I don't, I don't know that sowing seeds of discontent like that over the long haul is in anybody's interest. I don't, I don't, I got a real hard time buying that. Any word on GSP at UFC 206? No, but I have heard there might be a very special fight on that card that has not been announced. So we shall see. Feels like Connor is trying too hard to get into Alvarez's head. Has MMA's mental warfare wizard of Oz been exposed? I think you guys are too focused on who is getting into someone's head. This always comes around when Connor fights, which is quite annoying because it obviously had zero relevancy to either Diaz fight. Obviously, it had some relevancy to the Aldo fight, but um, it's a little overplayed. I think that if. I mean, Al Alvarez has been around a long time. He's never been anything like this before. Fair enough. But we're talking about one of the all-time decorated lightweights. <laughs> like, if there was a lightweight Hall of Fame, Eddie Alvarez is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, that's the kind of skill we're talking about here. So I don't know. That's not really what I'm focusing on. All right, let's see. Celebrity shareholders. The fact that celebrities have taken a public vested interest in the UFC means we will see a significant bump in public interest. Has there been any uptick media or social media interest since ha uh, having announced this? I don't think so, not yet. Um, I don't know that the dividends will be huge. Obviously, that first round of media was relatively helpful, I suppose, but ultimately, I think, insignificant. Um, I just think in the long run, you might see these guys at UFC shows... Um, you know, think about what happened before when the UFC was trying this. Quick properties. Look for audio device and change to disable. Hit OK, fixed. Is the audio messed up again? Oh, please don't tell me it's messed up again. Uh, Gigi Hadid is d dating Zayn Malik. Ah, uh, okay. There we go. 
All right, I'm gonna wreck this myself. There we go. Um, I mean, first of all, one of the guys who bought it is Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri, I really you pronounce it. This like clown of a human being on search to, you know, on, I'm going through America's greasiest spoon diners to see how often I can get explosive diarrhea. Uh, so, you know, how much is he really going to add? But, you know, look, think about what it used to be when UFC back in 2011 would be like, look at all these celebrities tweeting about us. And it would be like Antonio Sabato Jr. and maybe Rosie O'Donnell if they were lucky. And then like Shane Victorino. Okay, I don't know what this deal entails, but if you can get Ben Affleck to show up at your event, and they had Kanye West, remember, for UFC 200, and I saw Leonardo DiCaprio personally backstage trying to get some beer, um, that really it can add some prestige and allure. And if those guys tweet about it, or they talk about it in interviews, or whatever, um, it's just like a kind of you know A-list celebrity third-party validation that the UFC, however manufactured they are to, in, in producing it, and nevertheless can have... Uh, a really positive effect. Right, quick camera under sources. I'm gonna try this. Let's see. Let's see. Female MMA coaches. Firstly, should Tyron Woodley change his name to the Monotron 5000? That's funny. Secondly, when do you think we will see female MMA coaches becoming well-known the same way that coaches like Kavanaugh, Perillo, Pettineris, etc. are? Are you aware of any current high-level female MMA coaches uh, that we should watch out for? No, I'm not. I mean, there's a couple... Uh, the couple that run Fit NHB is a, uh, I think it's a married couple. Um, there's not a lot, man. It's not a lot. It's an interesting question. I hadn't thought much about that. I, I suspect you'll see some. There was a female uh, umpire, ref, whatever, at the Skins-Browns game over the weekend, and she sucked. Whoa, her calls sucked. She had a number of doozies. Um, I don't know if she just had a bad day or what, man, but, whew, she was bad. I think, was she the one that called holding on Brandon Sheriff? When it was, like, clearly not? Tyron Woodley. You guys love talking about Tyron Woodley on this show. Do you believe Tyron Woodley is intentionally taking the role of a heel bad guy in welterweight? Or do you believe he is just being himself and that many fans dislike him for who he is? A little bit of both. I think that he's just being himself to a large extent. And I think that uh, he really misjudged what the fan reaction was going to be. I don't know that that was like his number one concern in thinking about, oh, I'm going to ask for the Diaz fight, not the Woodley fight, but um, I think he just mis misjudged what kind of reaction that was. And then he kind of lashed out a little bit, and that only made it worse. And he kind of like 
dug his heels in and the fans dug their heels in and you have what it is today. I don't know that, um, you know, this is the perfect representation of Tyrant. In fact, every interaction I've ever had with him has been extraordinarily positive. Um, but I also feel like you're getting, you're seeing some of that. You're seeing um, a little bit of exaggerated behavior on his part. Let's see what else we got. Alvarez fight backlash. What if the worst happens and we really lose Aldo over this farcical title fight? Or if it gets compounded with the loss of Habib, will it have still been worth it? No. I still find those two events to be extraordinarily unlikely. Uh, losing either Aldo or Habib. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't believe that that's what it will come to. I don't know what the solution is going to be exactly just yet, because both guys appear to be quite angry. Um, but let's say it happened. That to me would be an extraordinarily costly event. Because everyone's sort of measuring this, like, what does Aldo really pull at the gate? What does Habib pull at the gate? That's a very poor way of measuring, and a very insufficient way of measuring their absence. Their absence would mean not only what their potential financial contributions would be um, as attractions that sell tickets or pay-per-view buys, um, but what kind of effect it would have on their peers, what kind of an effect it would have on other matches you could make, what kind of an effect it would have on the divisions, what kind of signal it would send about talent recruitment, uh, what kind of a boon it would be for other organizations to say, you know, we don't do that kind of thing, right? Bellator would love it if Aldo actually never came back. Uh, there, there would be any number of different ways in which you would measure the cost of that, and it would be significant, and it would be very, very bad for them if neither guy fought again. Not in the short term, oh, who are we going to plug in in this headlining role? I don't know that that necessarily would be the case, but um, uh, that's not the sum total of costs involved here. Ronda and Edmund. The UFC obviously wants Ronda Rousey back, but she's been out since her family's, since her fairly one-sided loss. Fairly one-sided? At this point, I have to wonder if she isn't getting the support she needs at her gym to rebuild herself. Edmund has shown that he's simply not a good MMA coach. God, I got his itchy hair. Or corner, and would probably do it better as a high school boxing instructor. Should the UFC, Dana in particular, make an effort to go get Ronda from Edmund? No, I don't think the UFC should be intervening in who people train with. Even if the people training other fighters are manifestly unqualified, the UFC should stay out of that. Fighters need to be able to manage their own affairs. And that's the last thing we want the UFC being involved in. John Jones hearing. Luke, what punishment do you think Jones gets from the Nevada State Athletic Commission this Monday? Do you think the fact that they tested him for coke when they shouldn't have, and they're releasing those results when they shouldn't have, plays any role in this decision? If you think, and I'm not trying to be mean, of course, but if you think the Nevada Athletic Commission is going to accept even a minor degree of culpability in their own errors. Wow, are you kidding yourself? I don't disagree that they botched that big time. No doubt about it. 
But um, I actually texted Malky yesterday. Did he respond? Let's see. No, he did not. Um, they're not going to accept any culpability. Now, what other things we could figure out from this um, uh, event, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know what's going to happen exactly. But, um, but I don't buy that whatever errors they made will be... Oh, gee, John, we're so sorry. No, you're not going to see that from them. This is a really mean question, but I'm going to read it. Why is Cormier so unpopular? Frankly, I don't like Daniel Cormier. Never have. It offends my eyes to see a chunky fighter, and that fighter being called champion makes it all the worse. Also, I've been a John Jones fan for many years now since I started watching the sport. Well, that might be a big reason why you don't like Daniel Cormier. But that's just me. Roy Nelson was very popular for a time, winning with his atrocious physique. His victories seemed to resonate with larger audiences, so why isn't Cormier getting the same kind of support? He certainly wins a lot more than Nelson, and is a lot better on the mic. Yeah, well, part of it is, um, Nelson, well, A, you're a John Jones fan. Uh, B, I'm not exactly sure why people don't like Daniel Cormier. Again, I know that you're going to want to say there's absolutely no racial component. It's like, I like this fat white guy. I just don't seem to like this fat black guy. Um, but okay, I'll leave that aside, even though that's pretty clearly a component. But let's say let's put that aside. The difference, though, there is some differences in, the, in that Roy Nelson owned the fact that he was, uh, you know, out of shape. Not out of shape, but, uh, you know, didn't exactly look like, um, you know, like, like he was going to be on the cover of, any kind of fitness magazine anytime soon. Uh, remember he wanted to come out to Weird Al's I'm Fat? Like, Cormier kind of owned it with that, uh, I'm all about that, uh, what was it? I'm all about that cake, a cake and chicken. I think it was something like that. And he owns the kind of Popeye's thing, but it's not exactly quite as forward with his identity as it was for Roy, so there's part of that too. Obviously Jones has somehow figured out a way to malign Cormier, despite his, all of his own wrongdoing, so, um, so we'll see. So we'll see, but I don't, I also think that, like, you know, y'all know what I think. All right. Women's Bantamweight title picture. What is going on there? Why hasn't there been another title fight announced? Let's be clear. Ronda hasn't come out with anything recently. It's Dana pushing that narrative that she'll be back soon. Along with some other unrealistic claims about her being the biggest star ever and all. Is Amanda seriously sitting out for that fight after Misha and Holly's good example? Um, I'm led to believe that that is actually going to be announced, I don't know when, I don't know for what event, but that, like, it's going to happen. I have reason to believe that it's going to happen. Uh, again, I'm not sure, last quarter of 2016, or first quarter of 2017, I don't really know, but, I, I see what you mean, but, be patient with that one. Jose Aldo, when Connor sent out the tweet about retiring, the UFC was quick to respond and saying that if it was true, he would have to give up his belt. With Aldo making a similar claim, why has the UFC not yet made it publicly clear that he will lose his belt if he doesn't retract the statement? Well, A, it's the interim title. I mean, how much do they really care? And B, uh, there might be channels behind the scenes 
about them trying to get into contact with him or figure this out or they knew that what McGregor was doing was bluffing as part of that negotiation and that it was maybe harder to get a hold of him personally or that this was a way to send a message. Maybe that there's a difference going on because you can say whatever you want about, oh, McGregor was owed certain things and didn't and didn't have to go do all that press in Las Vegas. You could have just done it from New York and, and whatever else. Um, but that's not like, and he was yanked from the card. Right? He was eventually put on UFC 202. But that's not the same kind of wrongdoing as what Aldo received. Like, okay, Aldo might be a big crybaby and hasn't, to some of you guys, and hasn't gone out there and fought in a way that's been very pleasing for a long time, with the exception of maybe that second Mendez fight or whatever. Um, okay, fair enough. But just put that aside. If you're him and you lose and you're this undefeated champion, and then they say, okay, we're not going to give you that, but we're going to give you the interim title, and if you win that, you'll fight McGregor, and then you don't fight McGregor, um, wh what are you supposed to think? Like, everyone's like, oh, I don't like Aldo. Okay, fine. What if you were Aldo? Right? He's not, is he entirely in the wrong? I don't think he's entirely in the wrong. So if he's not entirely in the wrong, what portion of this conversation is he right about? I think if you're told things and they don't come true, you have a reason to be upset about it. I don't, I don't know why that's so controversial. That's not set in stone, of course. Like, nothing that's not in writing uh, is real, maybe, I guess, is the lesson to learn. But I don't know why guys are, you know, if you're 10 years the champ, undefeated... Well, you know, except for that one mistake, but undefeated in the Zufa era anyway. And then, uh, you know, yeah, he lost badly. God, that loss was so devastating. But then you do what they're, they're, you're, you're supposed to. You get right back on the horse, and you're given the title, and then, it, you, you know, it doesn't mean anything. I, I, I can see why you'd be upset. I don't, I don't see why that's so controversial. That's not saying I agree entirely with the notion that he should have got this fight. I think maybe Alvarez versus Ed, Edgar was the one, or, um, Edgar. Alvarez versus um, McGregor was the one to make, but um, I don't find their rage surprising. Someone wrote CM Punk versus Anderson Silva at UFC 208. All right. Uh, do you think there's going to be a point where fighters start refusing catchweight fights? Ian McCall refused to fight Justin Scoggins and got paid his money anyways. He was then quickly scheduled for another fight which got cancelled anyways. But again, he was paid. Will Brooks had much more to lose than Cowboy Oliveira being a ranked fighter. Now he lost in the fight and is injured because of it. Looking back, he probably could have refused the fight and gotten paid, then returned on an upcoming car. If fighters begin to largely refuse catchweight fights, what is the UFC's response? Well, okay... Um, that rib injury was a bit of a fluke thing, and, like, even with it, I thought he took the second round. I don't know if he took the first round, but he definitely took the second round. Like, if you'd asked Will Brooks was the mistake to take the fight, like, imagine if that rib injury never happened. Now, it did happen. Okay, that's obviously a, a critical component to the story, but did it happen because Oliveira had, like, this crazy size difference? Maybe, maybe, but he gets need, you know, or hit all the time by other guys. I saw Wad put his lights out. Um... I guess the point being is, if that rib injury had never happened, who would you bet on to win that fight? I'd still bet on Will Brooks to win that fight. He just seemed to me to be the more talented guy, even with the weight disparity. And I bet you he would say the same thing. So, 
I know what you mean, and in boxing this has happened where guys fail to make weight even for championship fights, fights, and the guys who have the choice to take the fight or the, or the extra money often just refuse to take the fight, and I can uh, appreciate that. And those guys have contracts where if they don't fight, they don't get paid. Uh, although some have guaranteed purses too. Um, but um, I don't... These guys need the money. Right? They need the money. Part of this is yeah, McCall got paid, but it's not clear that UFC was under any obligation to pay him. I guess maybe the show money, but that's about it. Uh, and even then, I'm not sure that they have to pay the show money. I'm not sure what the conditions are by which show money... I think if you weigh in, does the show money count? I'm not... I, don't, I need to have that clarified, but um, they certainly don't owe you any win money. Now, they've done that, I think, both times for McCall because they felt bad for him. But that's, that's uh, a generosity thing, not a requirement thing. And if they don't like you... They're not under no obligation to pay you. Uh, Luke, who do you personally want to see Dom Cruz defend his belt against in the next fight? Also, I love Cruz as a commentator. I thought he did a really good job. Felt in his commentary. I went over that in the Monday Morning Analyst, but in terms of his, who would want to see him fight, this is a tough one, man. I think you got to do, if they had to make the fight right away, I honestly would give it to TJ Dillashaw because I, you know, number one guy loses a razor thin decision, goes out there and beats the number two guy in a Sun Sal handily, like no doubt about it, he won. Still sitting there and he can't get the fight because there's a little bit more of the back and forth with him and Garbrandt. I wouldn't cry if they gave it to Garbrandt. I really wouldn't. I guess what I'm thinking is, if they need to make the fight now, they should give TJ Dillashaw another crack at it. Um, and if they're not going to give Cruz a fight right away, if they're going to have him do something else, then you can give Dillashaw, I don't know, Lineker, Dillashaw, somebody. Somebody at that top there, have him fight. In other words, have him fight another top contender, and then see what happens. Um, and if he wins that one, I don't know how you deny him, basically. But if we're just talking like resume... His resume is sick. Since missing weight has in-cage advantages, it would only be fitting if it resulted in in-cage punishment. You could, e.g., deduct a point for every pound or two pounds that a fighter has more. I mean, if you deduct a point for every pound... You can't win a fight unless it's a stoppage. Um, what are your thoughts on this idea or any other measure to cancel out the advantages of missing weight? You could have something like if you're five pounds or more over, then you get a point deducted. If you have missed weight in two consecutive UFC bouts, I mean, that's not to be a commission rule, though, because it couldn't be a UFC rule. Um, I, wouldn't be, I would not be opposed where... A point is deducted in the cage for missing weight, either how much you missed weight by it in one event or if consecutively it's happened. But that would be up to the commission to do. The UFC could not implement that. They can't. They can't tell the commission to take a point away um, beforehand. So in theory, I think it's okay. Uh, but that is a sticky situation in terms of how you do that. This one we kind of already know, 
What does a Hendo victory mean for the middleweight division? If Dan Henderson wins and retires, how would you go about deciding who the middleweight champ is? They would have that four-man tourney, right? Um, they would just go from there. Or um, they would just have the winner of Yoel versus Weidman and the winner of Jacare versus Rockhold. The winner of that just gets the title shot. And those fights are already in motion, so... Bisping challenging. It seems like Bisping is challenging anyone but the big four in the middleweight division. Your thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah, so like who's he going to fight? He's going to fight Dan Henderson. Who's he been talking about? George St. Pierre. So I'm talking about. This is a fight that makes no sense to me. I mean, I'm not saying it wouldn't sell. Uh, I have no interest in it whatsoever. None. Uh, a guy who assiduously revoided middleweight versus a guy who, you know, your first two title defenses, assuming he beats Dan Henderson, would be against a guy outside the top ten and then a guy who never fought at middleweight. Come on, man. If, if, if Bisping wins on Saturday, it needs to be against the winner of either Yoel versus um, Weidman or Jacare versus uh, Rockhold too, and no one else, unless there's some kind of freak injury or something. A fine for missing weight. Surely it's time to make an incremental scale on weight missing fines. Why should someone who is five to ten pounds over have any? Why someone who is five to ten pounds over only have to pay the same as a guy who is a fraction over? I wouldn't be opposed to that. That'd be a good. That'd be a good rule. This is an interesting question. Okay, earmuffs. If you don't want to hear bad language. Apparently the term motherfucker does not translate well to non-native English speakers. In Cowboy Oliveira's past fight interview, he said the following, I got here yesterday and couldn't make the weight for the first time in 49 fights I have in my career. So he insulted and disrespected me and offended my mom. Mom is a thing you never talk s about to another man. You never talk about another man's mom. A mother is sacred, a mother and children. Fabricio Verdum also seemed he was most bothered by Edmund calling him an MFer. There's also a video of John Danaher explaining the term to GSP after Nick Diaz referred to him as MFR. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe we're going over this. Verdum and GSP are both highly intelligent, and even they struggle with this particular translation, seeming to believe it is meant to imply that someone has sex with their own mother. I personally would not be very gracious if I believed that someone said that about me. Also, if I were in Brooks's shoes, I would probably react the way he did, considering what he knew at the time. Does this provide some insight to the whole ordeal? Sure, there's obviously something being lost in translation, and perhaps the term MFR is not so culturally universal that it creates for large-scale understanding. Um, let me just make one point about this, and we can move on from it. Everyone was like, man, what he did was so classless. I'm so mad at him. And look, uh, what Alex Oliveira did with the, you know, and then the... Is clearly unprofessional and clearly gross, and I would never do it to someone. And I would hope that anyone out there who is a fighter would never do that again. Like, if we never saw it again, it would be fine. Um, but I'm not really all that enraged about it, to be honest. I'm just not. And the reason why is not because I don't like Will Brooks. I like him very much. And uh, it's not that I don't feel a little bit of sympathy for him because his opponent missed weight. I do. But the truth is, I don't know why... Like, people are like, that was so... Uh, that was lacking in class. So... Fans have clearly demonstrated, and the sport generally tolerates, a lack of professionalism and a lack of um, 
class. Now, the professionalism argument can be a little bit dicey in terms of, are you following your responsibilities as set up by the athletic commission? But okay, he paid the fine, like, and they made that they sanctioned the fight. It went forward, like whatever the crime was, he paid for it as far as the commission was concerned. Um, everyone was like, you know, to do that to a guy you just TKO'd is so is so awful. And I agree, it's awful, but that's different than being upset about it. Here's the point: fans in this sport are willing to tolerate um, unprofessionalism and classlessness if it leads to entertainment for them. When you see it for competitive spite, they don't seem to care too much. They, they, they get real upset about it. You know, you had Roy Nelson calling Daniel Cormier Uncle Tom, which is, like, incredibly racist, and no one seemed to care about it. You have all kinds of guys making any number of disparaging remarks about people's mothers and careers and family and whatever else. And this is all largely tolerated, especially when it leads to great zings that the fans can enjoy. And that's fine. You should enjoy that. I'm not mad at you for enjoying it. Laugh it up. This is, this is part of the show. But also, if you are going to carve out a space where you tolerate that, you don't get to chime up when someone does the cross chop. It doesn't work that way. You have to just basically allow for it. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. But getting all offended about it? Mm -mm. You, have no, you have no quarrel here. You have clearly articulated to fighters... If you don't break the rules, and whatever rule he broke, he paid for, um, that this was the case. And everyone was like, well, it was because he missed weight. No, it's not. Missing weight made it worse. Yes. Absolutely true. If he had not missed weight, uh, the outrage wouldn't have been as much. But that is not why people are outraged. They're outraged because they don't like that kind of thing. Because there's really no entertainment value to it. That's, 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 the, that's the genesis of it, really. Him making the weight, people are like, oh, he made weight and didn't atone for it. John Lineker literally set the record. He is the great, he is the goat. He is the greatest of all time in terms of fighters in the UFC who have missed weight. And everyone's like, ah, oh, that's just old John. <laughs> that's just old Johnny being Johnny, huh? Come on, let it slide. What's he? How is he supposed to atone for this? Get on his knees and like, and start crying and and flogging himself with spikes attached to a whip? Like, what is he supposed to do here? He paid the fine, Brooks agreed to the fight, that's the end of that. And yeah, this and this is awful. But if you cheer on other forms of unprofessionalism, and we don't have any rules saying what he did was wrong, and we don't, in terms of this and this, that's the end of the argument, folks. You don't get to just accept it when it's like, ha ha, he ha ha, press conference fodder. You allow for the former, you get the latter. That, that is the world in which you have created. All right, let's go to the Twitter machine here. Okay. Let's do this. Any truth to the rumor that Conor McGregor will walk away at UFC 205, or after anyway? I uh, don't know. Is Alvarez a tougher matchup for McGregor than Frankie Edgar? In some ways, yes. In some way, no. Bigger power, stronger, more physical. Um... That first five to six, seven minutes, man, I think Alvarez is right that he's... I'm a little bit concerned that Alvarez is going to go out there and just start slinging the dogs with him, and he's going to get dropped. Now, he's been dropped before and come back, but McGregor is a super hard hitter. Somebody needs to go out there and just from like the moment go, kind of like just Demi and Maya it up, and just start wrestling and grappling with him and slow him down. And once you do that, he's a much more manageable task. 
True or false? The main card for UFC 205 will stay intact with no injuries. I will say true. There we go. If McGregor beats Alvarez, do you see him not defending either belt and just taking super fights? Sure. Everyone's like, oh, no, no, after this fight, he'll return the belts. Oh, really? And by what guarantee do you have this? I mean, he might. It sounds plausible to me that he might return the belt uh, for featherweight, let's say, or maybe both, or none of them. I don't know. I don't, there's no guarantee about anything here, which is why if you're going to do things like this, they generally have to be under restraint. Because that's the only thing that will save us from this being the norm. Will Connor prepare like he did for Diaz too, or will the ego land again and he doesn't prepare as well for this fight? Well, I would argue that he'll prepare just fine, but I would also say that the best McGregor is the one coming off of setback. I think he's generally at his best then. That doesn't mean he won't win or lose. In fact, I kind of favor McGregor, but still. Do you think Rousey would be better served finding a different trainer, and who does she fight next? Yes. And then, of course, she'll fight. What's her face? How much would you pay someone to be a personal donk to take care of your audio issues? A lot of money. <laughs> if I could never have to deal with this again, it would be too soon. Email me. Am I the only person who believes McGregor doesn't have a shot against Eddie Alvarez? Seaver shot through Connor with ease. Uh, I don't think you're the only one, but you're probably in relatively rare company. Uh, okay. Would it be fair to say if Hendo wins the UFC middleweight title that he would be the most accomplished MMA fighter ever? Um, he, I don't know if he'd be the most accomplished, but he would have a record of achievement that would be hard to match. But, you know, he's had a number of losses, too. So, um, how we measure that accomplishment it would be a little bit different than maybe some other ones, right? I mean, Anderson Silva doesn't have belts in all these different organizations, but he had that, you know, 16-fight win streak. So, uh, there's just some differences there in how we reconcile which one is greater. But, yes... Not, maybe not the most, but certainly one of the most. True or false, Tim Kennedy will finish or win a dominant unanimous decision over Rashad. I will say true. True or false, TJ fights Cruz next. I'll say true, but it's probably not. Diaz versus Connor, UFC 209. False. The tie guy should be locked in cage with Eddie. The tie guy? Who is the tie guy? I don't know who the tie guy is. True or false? Luke Thomas was impressed by, by and surprised by Nathan Marquardt beating uh, Tamden McCrory. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Very shocked by that. Uh... So it says, I'm watching the live chat with Luke and realizing that we need to start a movement to get the, the notorious Conor McGregor on Saturday Night Live. There you go. Do it, man. Do it up. Does the saying, you're not a champion until you defend the belt, mean anything? To idiots. To idiots, that means something. Now, I will say it is a different task to win the belt versus defending it. Those are fundamentally two different kinds of tasks. But... Uh, Yes, it, if you win the belt once, you were clearly champion, so, yes. Okay.
recreational drugs show up in some man's USADA tests? Yes, they would. So, is there a duty on UFC to offer support? Ooh. Um, boy, that is a good question. Wow. I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's, a, that's an interesting one. I have to think about that. I don't know what kind of ethical lines you'd be crossing by doing that. I don't know how valuable that information would be. I mean, I suspect they'll be able to... Look, I suspect they'll be able to figure out what happened based on the autopsy alone, and I don't know that it's really relevant. It's an interesting question. I don't... Look, I don't know what happened to Josh Saman, and I want to be very respectful considering this is so fresh, but I feel like... I feel really comfortable in saying it's not... Like, whatever put him in a coma, I don't feel like is accidental or in some way so mysterious we'll never figure it out. I think we will, uh, and I hope we do. Uh, let's see. Hey, I can't post an MMA page. I'm a new fan of BJJ Brown Belt. Interested in your training background. I am nobody. I am just a guy who's been going to gyms and seminars and reading and watching and taking private lessons for years and years. I am not good at anything. Cyborg has been very vocal about Rhonda ducking her for her entire career. What's with the silence from Rhonda? Boy, this sabbatical has really eaten up her life. Um, but, you know, she wasn't silent before. But it was just that before it was like, oh, she has to come to 135. And now that that's clearly an impossibility, and now that Cyborg's been active while Rhonda hasn't, the argument has shifted more towards, you know, the whole 140 thing, and that has left Rhonda not only not able to answer that, but also still just trying to deal with the loss of home. So, we'll see. With two of BJ Penn's comeback fights being canceled, are his days as a relevant fighter in the UFC over? Not quite yet, but boy, he is treading dangerously close to that, is he not? Uh, let's see. If Masvidal can get a win over Ellenberger, will that be the win he needs to take his career to the next level? Mm, no. But that would put him in a position to maybe get a fight to take his career to the next level. What are your thoughts on Road FC's 32-man lightweight tournament? Yeah, the winner gets a million bucks. Have fun. It's a deep division, right? Middleweight, or excuse me, not middleweight. Um, uh, lightweight is, is a division where it's good in organizations far outside of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Um, it's good in Bellator, it's good in World Series of Fighting. Your local fight organizations will have like pretty respectable lightweight talent on there. you know. Um, so if you're going to do a, a tournament with 32 guys outside the UFC... Lightweight seems like a reasonable place to start, right? Ronda Stock. Has Connor's response to his loss to Diaz in comparison to Ronda's further hit her credibility? Uh, not credibility, but certainly it's not... It has perpetuated any kind of negative thoughts about her, I think, longer than it needed to. Do you have cycles off creatine or permanently jacked on it? I took it off the last month. I inevitably end up cycling it only because I just stopped taking it for various portions. Um, but the research shows that you do not have to get off of it. You can just sort of stay on it if you want. But it's your choice. It, I don't know that it really matters. Uh, here we go. Did you have time to listen to Faraz Zahabi's chemical warfare comments about Hendo? He was pretty harsh. I have not yet. I still have not. 
MFR is always translated to Portuguese as son of a whore or son of a bitch. What are we doing on this live chat? <laughs> I feel like this is George Carlin's seven dirty words you can't say anywhere that he got arrested for. Does McGregor dominate Alvarez in the most spectacular fashion? I'm sure you want him to. Let's see, let's go back, finish this up. There's a true-false. Let's do this. Comments that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. That's true. No diet soda today. That's true. Today is Thursday, October 6th. False! It's Wednesday, October 5th. If you, Luke, change the rules to an Olympic sport, you could change fencing to use car antennas instead of sabers. That is true. And that would make them wear uh, no face protection. But you couldn't poke in the face. You could only slash in the face. You'll be voting for Donald Trump next month. I will not. You talked to the t-shirt guy recently. I did. It's 2-something teen. Time to go to the Twitter machine. That's true. Jason Bourne was the greatest movie ever. False. You like watching half-naked men roll around in the cage. Technically, that's true. All right. Another razor-thin split decision had me thinking about scoring criteria in MMA again. In Japan, 10-10 rounds aren't the most unusual of occurrences. However, in North America, it seems like judges seldom submit 10-10 scorecards. If the judges were to submit a 10-10 score in North America, it is typically due to inactivity. Having said this, do you think it would be such a bad thing for judges to be less reluctant to score 10-10 rounds? First, scoring an ultra-close round 10-10 would appreciate the value of a 10-9 score awarded in a round and... Uh, with a more pronounced victor. Second, with the scoring habits as they are now, short of there being a point deduction for a 10-8 round, fights never end in draws. I think it's ridiculous that a draw can only come about of a fight where the fight was either an infraction or a dominant one-sided round, but never as the result of a fight that was close and competitive throughout. Your thoughts? I really agree with you. I can't tell you how much I agree with you. I cannot tell you how much I have spoken to folks on the inside who say athletic commissions are extraordinarily reluctant to teach their judges to do this. They don't want draws. They want finality. They want X beats Y. Um, what we are looking for is the most accurate representation of what happened in a fight. Did someone really win, or was it really just basically kind of close? Um, even if someone won, was one of the rounds really, really close, shouldn't that be accurately re reflected? And I think what the commissions want is, they want a reasonably accurate picture, but th what they really want is also that there's some finality there. That X beat Y, or Y beat X, or whatever the case may be, and they can move on. I don't want. They don't want to be the commission where when the UFC shows up, it was a bunch of unsatisfying draws. They kind of want to give, not just the UFC really, any promotion what they're looking for. Hey, we have these results for you to look at, not these disappointing draws. You know, think about Minamora. Someone's like, it's all these damn draws, um, and you know that's a different argument about how, how to resolve that. But you get the idea. Like draws to fans are like these. Oh, like oh, it's a draw. What? They, they want to avoid that, and even if that means fudging a little bit about who won, some of these commissions are really okay with it. And that's a terrible thing that to, to admit, but it's just the truth. Uh, let's see, I'll take one more of these. Everyone's complaining about the Echo. Let's do one more of these. Okay, UFC versus the rest of the world fantasy matchups. Conor McGregor versus Michael Page. Conor McGregor if he took it to the ground. Donald Cerrone versus Andre Koreshkov. Cerrone. 
Calderwood versus Hill. Calderwood. Duffy versus Chandler. Ooh. Chandler. Bektich versus Ivan, uh, the guy who beat, or lost to, uh, what you call it, Conor McGregor, I, uh, I think it's Buckinger. Um, I would say Buckinger. Lewis versus Minikov. Lewis. Uh, Minikov. He would take it to the ground. Okay. So here's how this is going to go. Donkeys. I'm super, super sorry about the audio issues. I was good for five. I kind of lost you there for 30 minutes or so, and then I kind of made it work. I'm going to New York tomorrow. I will have them address these issues. But no matter what, the podcast that I upload, I have a separate device recording the audio. I will use that to post on the podcast. So the podcast audio, inshallah, should be just fine. I'm so sorry about the audio. Please forgive me. It's a work in progress. I'm just a donk out here groping in the dark. I hope you can appreciate that. If not, I understand why you can't, quite frankly. But maybe there is mercy and tenderness in your heart for me, just this once. Um, if you can, please give this video a thumbs up, although you probably don't want to. Uh, subscribe and like the channel. And uh, you can email me, luke.thomas at sbnation.com. Luke Thomas Show is at 4 today. We're going to have a bunch of people remembering Josh Saman, including former teammates and some of his co-workers over at Bloody Elbow. And uh, we'll take a look at yesterday's Google uh, announcements for Google Home and new Pixel and everything else. So uh, take a look at that, SiriusXM 93. Okay, thank you guys so much for watching. I will stop this. I am sorry about the echo. Oh, stay frosty.